Father God, we thank you for that amazing grace, oh God. For us who were unworthy, lost in our sin and our brokenness, that you would die on a cross for what you call your enemies, oh God. We thank you for that grace, that love, that mercy from pulling us from the muck and the mire, oh God. And I pray in this year, 2022, Lord God, this will be the year that we remember your grace and your mercy and your victory and your empowerment and that your spirit would carry us through even the most difficult, confusing seasons, Lord God, that whether we're in the house or we're at home, oh God, that your presence is with us and empowering us for victory in Jesus' name. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, welcome Mission Church to 2022. It's not exactly what we thought it would look like, I understand. Um, they asked me to speak this Sunday uh, before I knew that it was going to be like this. Um, so this is my first time preaching on Sunday morning. I was like, awesome, awesome, awesome. And then Pastor Keith called me yesterday and he's like, hey, bud. By the way, um, we're going to virtual, and I was like, oh, but it's all right. That's okay, because the Holy Spirit's the same here, you guys at home, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will encounter you as you're watching, as you're listening, as we tackle some spiritual truths today in the Word of God. So I want to hop right into the message today. Today, I'm going to be preaching a sermon titled, The Siege of Hell, The Siege of of hell. So when I was asked to preach uh, a couple weeks ago, I wasn't sure what to really talk about, and I was praying and, and kind of seeking God on what to do. And then I remember last weekend actually listening to Pastor Keith's sermon, and God had put something on my heart, and I didn't really know how to deal with it, uh, some scriptures and some ideas. And then Pastor Keith preached a powerful sermon last week. If you're watching this live, pull that sermon up after this and watch it. If you're watching this after the fact, pause right now, watch it, then come back, because I feel like it's the spiritual sequel of Pastor Keith's sermon last week. But Pastor Keith preached a powerful sermon last week about overcoming a spirit of fear and living with our faith active and on fire and, and, and not being ruled by fear and dictated by emotions and by just the winds of, of our time, but having a solid rock and a foundation in Christ. And so when I was praying and when I was seeking what the Lord wanted me to speak to, he, he brought me to this passage. And we're going to be preaching about the siege of hell. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you have your Bibles. You got no excuse. You're at home. You didn't leave it there. So I hope you got your Bibles. Okay. So we're going to be in the gospel of Matthew. And if you don't know, that's the first book of the New Testament. Chapter 16, verses 17 to 19. And they read, I'm going to be reading from the King James Version. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the kings of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The siege of hell. So what is a siege? What is a siege? Well, a siege is a military strategy. It's a military 
tactic where an attacking force would surround a, 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 a town or a city or a, a base or a camp of their enemies. And once the defending town is surrounded, the siege becomes a waiting game. The surrounded town is cut off from the outside world. They're cut off from necessities such as food, water, and all other resources and aid that they need to help from the outside world. And while the town is cut off and struggling to survive with their limited resources, the attacking force will maintain a continual barrage of attacks on this defending city. Rarely in history do we see a successful siege lose. Rare in history do we see a town able to overcome a siege. The Babylonians defeated Jerusalem in the siege of Jerusalem uh, before the exile, as did the Trojans did, uh, the, the Greeks did to the Trojans in the Trojan War. The Nazis sieged Warsaw in World War II and overtook Poland, and then finally the Allied forces in World War II besieged Berlin and defeated Hitler and his armies in World War II. So we see countless, I was looking at lists of sieges and histories, there's hundreds and hundreds, I'm sure thousands of examples in history we can look at, at successful sieges. Going back to our passage, Jesus in this passage is establishing the role of the church in the kingdom of God. Simon has professed Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. And Jesus declares that Simon, having realized this ultimate truth, is no longer Simon Barjona. But Simon is now known as Petros in Greek, and as we know it, Peter, which literally means rock or stone. This is talking about man. Man, when they come to realize that Jesus is their Lord and Savior when they realize he is the savior of all of creation who has brought the kingdom of heaven. And when they accept his Holy Spirit and the empowerment of his Holy Spirit, they become an immovable force that is stubborn in their faith. Stubborn like a rock, like a stone. And this is what Christ says, upon this rock, upon this immovable faith in man, he will build and establish his church his congregation, his community, his people. The kingdom of heaven is established on this faith. The church, however, is not a static, immovable object. Rather, the church is more like an unstoppable force. And this force has a target. And Jesus tells us that this target in verse 18 is the gates of hell. The gates of hell. See, Jesus has enlisted an army. And they are an unstoppable force against the power of hell and creation. There is a siege happening right now. In the spiritual reality, there is a siege happening. Jesus and his army, his rock, is besieging hell right now. In fact, Jesus has already overcome hell, death, and the grave. And now the waiting game of the siege has begun. We've had the, the kingdom of hell surrounded by the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus won the ultimate victory and said it is finished, he had conquered death, hell, and the grave. And now us, the church, are his army, his besieging force, defeating the kingdom of hell. 
And we will be victorious. Like time and time again we have seen in history, we will be a, vict a victorious force in this war against hell. It's, it's no secret. I mean, we, God kind of spoiled it for us in his word. We are, we're already promised the victory from the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus has overcome it all. And it is the duty of his enlisted to storm the gates of hell. That's the duty of the church Church and, realize, and release the captives in hell. Those are struggling. Those who fight against what is come into this world because of sin and death. This is our spiritual, res, uh, our spiritual reality. We are not wrestling with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities of this cosmic age. We are wrestling against hell, but we are promised the victory in this siege, the siege of hell. This is our spiritual reality. And today, I want to look at three questions around this spiritual reality that we are living as, as the church of Jesus Christ. And these three questions are, one, who is enlisted? Who is enlisted? Two, how do we fight? And third, what is our goal? What is our goal? So let's start with this first question, who is enlisted? Who is enlisted? Well, that's an easy answer. The text tells us that the church is those who are enlisted in the army of God in the siege of hell. It says in our passage, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome them. We are promised as the church to overcome and the church is who is enlisted. But who exactly is the church? I mean, is the church the building is the church the people? Is the church the, the medium by which we are watching and receiving the word of God? What, what is exactly the church? Is it a socio-political idea that we use to create demographics in our political views? Well, let's look at the context of the scripture that we're reading today so that we can know who is in the fight against the gates of hell. Jesus gives us two examples in the example of Peter, Simon Peter's faith. First, the first uh, example we get from Peter is it is the man whom the Father has revealed himself to. It says, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. We can only come to God by the drawing of the Father. He is sovereign over our lives. He is sovereign over our salvation. And he has revealed himself through his scripture, through his miracles, through his presence, through his grace. He has made it known unto man. And he has appeared before us. And he had appeared before Peter, Simon Peter. And when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Jesus was able to give the right answer, not because uh, Peter was, I'm sorry, Peter was able to give the right answer, and not because Peter had it all figured out, not because Peter had gone to the right school, not because Peter had all figured it out reading the Bible. No, Peter knew because the Holy Spirit from the Father had been given to him by, the, by his Father in heaven. He was able to realize. But what did he realize? What was so important that God revealed to Peter? What is it so important that the Father reveals to man? Well, the second example that we see that it is the man who recognizes Jesus for who he truly is. It is the man 
who realizes who Jesus truly is. It says uh, in verse, the verses prior to that, Peter says to Jesus when asked, who do you say that I am? He says, thou art the Christ. Thou art the Messiah, the son of the living God. See, God, the Father, our God, had revealed to Peter that Jesus, the man standing before him, was not just another prophet, was not just another man, was not just another good person, a good teacher, a, a good warrior for justice. No, this was not just another man. This was the son of the living God. That the Father in heaven had revealed his love and his image on earth through the man, Jesus Christ, who was not just a man, but our God, our Savior, the second part of the Trinity. This is what had been revealed to Peter, and this is what the church is. It is the, the man who has, been, uh, who has realized his father in heaven. And through that realization of his father in heaven has realized who Jesus Christ is and has accepted him as the Messiah, has accepted him as the son of the living God. And now is walking hand in hand as the bride of Christ with him and through life and sieging the gates of hell. This is who the church is. It's nothing else. That's it. It's not a political group. It's not a sociological idea. No, no, no. It is the man who has, uh, who has confessed Jesus as his Lord and as his Savior. And the congregation, the people, at that time it was the disciples. In our day and age, it's the billions and billions of men, women, and children around the globe who say, Jesus is my Lord of lords and my King of kings, and he is the Son of of the living God, and he lives to this very day. That is who the church is. That is who is enlisted in the, the army of God, besieging hell and the gates of hell. These are the only qualifications. This is it. There's no other qualification in church. None. Simon, let's look at the example of Simon Peter. Simon was illiterate. He couldn't read or write. He was untrained in any religious way or any philosophies or any high teaching. Didn't have any proper schooling. He was untamable. He's unruly. He does his own thing. He's out here chopping people's ears off and stuff. He's crazy and untamable. He's rash. He makes these decisions. He says things he doesn't even understand sometimes. And, and, he, and the end of the story before Jesus is crucified, he betrays and denies his Lord and Savior. Now, is, is this the rock that would be reasonable to build the church on? Is this what would be reasonable that God would do? But the Bible tells us over and over and over again in the New Testament that righteousness comes from faith alone. See, Peter was not trained. Peter, he couldn't even read the Bible if he wanted to. He couldn't read. He couldn't, he couldn't do all these things. He wasn't the right man for the job. But he had one thing and one thing that God was looking for, and that was faith. And that is what he's looking in you, and he's looking in me. He's looking for faith. You don't need to be a pastor in the mission church. You don't need to be the high and mighty Greg Johnson to storm the gates of hell. All you need is faith. All you need is the Holy Spirit. All you need is the empowering of God in your life. That is who the church is. It is those who have faith and believe. 
you cannot receive grace based on any merit or accomplishment or any work. work. This is the teaching of the New Testament. But one reality you must, must wrestle with, and we, we, can't, we can't miss, is the spiritual reality that you either are a part of the siege or you are a part of the besieged. You are either a part of the siege or you are a part of the besieged. See, in this world, in this cosmic battle that we are living in between the powers of hell and the powers of heaven, there is no middle ground. There, there is only good and evil. There is only right and wrong. There is no halfway. There's no one foot in, one foot out. It says in the book of Revelation that you are, if you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, you will be spit from the mouth of God and he will reject you. There is no middle ground. And we need to realize this as the church, that we are only the church if we are living on fire for God. We are not the church if we just sit idly with our tail between our legs and let the devil beat us up. That's not how the victory that Christ has given us works. We are supposed to storm the gates of hell. We're supposed to accept the spiritual reality that one day we will behold our Savior with our eyes and we, with Christ, will reign as co-heirs, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. That is our spiritual reality. That is our eternal reality. And it is not the duty of the church to be scared. What Pastor Keith preached last week, it's not our job to have a spirit of fear and be anxious because we have the ability and the access to power and a sound mind. I mean, I could preach a whole other sermon on that, Pastor Keith did already, so go back in the archive, watch it, watch last week's, it's amazing, all right? Even if you fought a good fight, even if you've done all the right works that it seems, even that you've been a good man in your life, that will not save you. That will not give you merit in the kingdom of heaven. No work will save us. It's only through faith and the work of Jesus Christ. God judged every nation, every nation, even the very nations that he used to work out his plans. We read in books like Jeremiah and Isaiah, the very nations that he used, the very nations that he calls his tools in his hand, the agents of God, he, in the same books, judges those same very nations. It, it doesn't matter how, how much you think you're used by God. It doesn't matter how much you think you do so well. It doesn't matter if, if you, you, you spend your Sundays on the platform on doing worship. It doesn't matter if you sacrifice your time in the nursery or in children's ministry or in youth ministry. It doesn't matter how much work you do if you do not have faith and you are not living on the offense for God, then you will not be a part of the siege. This is our spiritual reality. Faith in God is all that gives the church the rock, the victory over the power of hell. 1 John 5.4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world." Our faith. Our faith is how we overcome the world. So that is who is enlisted in this siege. That is who is partaking in the siege of hell. That is the church, the rock, the Petros, the faith, the faith in the man of God. The second question is, how do we fight? Okay, we know who's in the fight. We're in the fight. 
we the people of faith who, who are believing, uh, even though we're untamed, even though we're a little riled up, even though we might off, cut off a couple of ears here and there, if we have faith, we have victory. That is enlisted, but, but, but how do we fight? Because Peter fought. Peter was cutting ears off and was crazy, but Jesus rebuked him for that. So how do we fight? How do we fight in the siege of hell? Well, the scripture that we've gone over tells us it is by binding on earth what is bound in heaven. It says in our passage, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Okay, but, but what is binding? What does it mean to have something bound and, and for us as the church to bind? Does it mean we like take a lasso and throw it up into heaven, bind what's there and just pull it down? I don't know. It's kind of wacky. I don't think so. How does this binding work? Well, binding in that time, in that culture, in that Jewish context, binding was the duty of Jewish rabbis. It was the duty of Jewish rabbis to decide what was permitted and what was forbidden in their faith communities. See, binding is where we get all the rules and the regulations that we see Jesus overcoming in the New Testament. This is the very thing that Jesus condemned the Pharisees for, for binding things. When Jesus and his disciples are healing on the Sabbath, the Pharisees and the, the rabbis and the scribes, they can't understand why and how he's doing it because they have already binded that you cannot do any work on the Sabbath, even if that means healing a man. And now Jesus is taking this authority from the Pharisees. He's taking this authority from the rabbis. He's taking this authority from the Sadducees and all the powers that, that man had created in their religious institutions. He's taking this power from them and removing it and giving it now to the church and giving it to his disciples and telling them to bind on earth what has been bound in heaven. This role is transferred to Peter and his disciples and us as the church. But is this just a transfer of power? Is this just moving from one religious institute to another? Is this just moving from one institution of Judaism into an institution of Christianity? Is this just moving from the rules of the Jews to the rules of the Christian? Because this seems like a contradiction. What, how is this different? How, how, how is, is, is binding and forbidding and permitting any different than what the Pharisees were doing? How is that any different from, from, from the church being rebuked by Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. In the Greek, the word bind and bound are read a little bit differently. See, in the Greek, they are presented in the perfect future tense. The perfect future tense. So what does this mean? This means that what is binded on earth is already bound in heaven. What the church is called to bind on earth is already bound in heaven. The decisions the ma that man on earth are making are not free decisions that they can just do whatever they want and, 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 and then heaven will just put its, its stamp of approval on afterwards. It's not just speaking in faith and things will happen and, and that's okay because God told us to. No, that's not what he's saying here. Rather, there are, there are things, there are mandates in heaven that already exist. 
that are already bound, that are already perfect from the mouth of God, existent in eternity. And it is now the job of the church to pull what is in heaven like the lasso, pull down what is in heaven onto earth now. Not to create more rules and regulations, but to realize the realities of the kingdom of heaven and make that the reality on earth. That is how we fight in the siege of hell. We are to enact the decrees of heaven on earth. This is acting out God's mandates. Not the mandates of man, not the mandates of a nation or a political party, not not the mandates of an institution, a Christian institution. No, rather, these are the direct mandates from the mouth of the living God. This is how we fight our battle. And these battles, this battle, these mandates, are they're not more rules and restrictions like the Pharisees and the scribes tried to put on the Jewish people. These are declarations of new creation. These are declarations of the new covenant. They are gospel messages of the kingdom of heaven. They are declarations of freedom and the breaking of bondage. Jesus said in John 10.10 that, that the enemy had come to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus didn't want to do any more of that. So he said, but I have come to give you life and life more abundant. This is what is bound in heaven. Life more abundant. They are the testimonies of salvation, of man being rescued from the gates of hell, from the church running into the gates of hell and pulling them from the fire before they are burned. That is the mandate of heaven. They are the constant barrage of attacks on the gates of hell. So what are some biblical examples of this spiritual warfare? What are some examples of of these attacks on the gates of hell? Well, we see some very specific examples in the life of Peter. See, Peter, once the church had been established, something happened after Jesus left on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit fell on the sons and daughters of God. And they were given the Holy Spirit, which empowered Peter to preach, which empowered the disciples to heal, which empowered the disciples to carry the mandate from heaven. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, thousands were saved on that very day. And then subsequently, billions have been saved since that day because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that mandate was already given in eternity. In Joel 2, 28 and 32, we see that God had already promised that this would happen. That this had already been bound in heaven. That there was already a prophecy that said, hey, one day my spirit will be poured out on all sons and daughters. And that mandate which was in heaven that Peter and the disciples recognized was pulled down. And they were able to live in the spirit. And now as the church, as the new disciples of Christ, we can walk in that same power of the Holy Spirit. That is a mandate of heaven that we can wage war in. The second example I have is the gospel for the Gentiles. Now, I don't know about all of y'all, but I know that I don't have a drop of of 
Jewish Hebrew in me. I don't got a drop of it. So I am Gentile through and through, and I am beyond thankful that the gospel has been opened up to the Gentiles or I wouldn't know what to do. The gospel has been opened up to the Gentiles, which was promised in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham the very first Jew, and he says, Abraham, through your family and your descendants, you will bless all the families of this world, all the nations of this world will be blessed because of your children. And we see Acts 10, Acts 10 again in the life of Peter. Peter goes to the house of Cornelius and Cornelius, this Gentile, this, this official in the Roman Empire, he is saved and his whole family is baptized. This is the first Gentile convert. And we see that this mandate in heaven that was given so long ago, thousands of years before in the life of Abraham is now enacted in the life of Peter. This is spiritual warfare. This is the call of God for those in the siege of hell. Okay, that's great. Peter did some good things. We see some good things in the Bible. But, you know, maybe you read the book of Acts, you're like, I don't really see those things going on. I don't see, you know, I, I don't see angels appearing. I don't see a sheet coming down with a bunch of animals and God telling me to eat it. I don't see those kinds of things. So how can I apply this to my life today? How can I, I live this spiritual reality out in my life? How do I fight this fight today? Well, let me give you a couple practical examples. First and foremost, 21 days of hunger. Coming up next week, we've got 21 days of hunger. And 1 Corinthians 7, 5 teaches us that praying and fasting is a weapon we can use to fight against Satan and his temptations. And we can fight the good fight when we, as a body, as an assembly, decide we are going to give up something, whether that's food, whether that's, that's a Daniel fast, whatever it is. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, that when the assembly, not just one, not just, uh, you know, one person doing it, but when the assembly, when the congregation gets together and agrees that we are going to fast, things happen. Things change. The Holy Spirit moves on the behalf of his people. This is a spiritual mandate that has already been bound in heaven, and we can reap that now, today, in spiritual warfare. How else? How else? Youth ministry. I'm the youth pastor, so I'm going to plug my youth ministry. Parents, listen up. I'm going to get real with you. It seems like day in and day out that Satan is besieging our teenagers, that this world has already grasped the heart of our young people. That cannot be so in this church. That cannot be so in this church. Teenagers are not little Christians. No, no, no. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is for the children. We cannot deny them the spirit, these spiritual realities. And if you do not have your teens in youth ministry, then you're letting Satan have his way with your children. In the schools they're going to, they're being taught so many things, and they don't know how to handle it. And we, we see it in the news today, all the crazy things being taught in school. But what are you doing to combat that? What are you doing to besiege hell in the lives of your children? I, I understand you are the priest of your household children, uh, 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 parents, but, but, but the, the youth ministry is a tool in your arsenal to fight against Satan in the life of your teenagers. Use it. Take a hold of it. That's my plug for the day. Okay, I'm sorry. All right, next way you can fight today in this real life is just getting involved in church ministry. 
just getting involved in some church ministry. We have so many opportunities for you to fight the good fight in the mission church. We constantly, I know in COVID, we haven't been doing it recently, but we've constantly had mission trips. We've constantly been having outreaches. We're constantly reaching out and praying for those in need. And, we, and you can get involved. You can get on a prayer team. You can work in something as simple as the cafe, making life easier and more comfortable for those on a Sunday morning. You can help parents out and help Pastor Linda out in the nursery. You can wage a war in the nursery. Yes, you can. There are so many ministries you can get involved in and wage war in this community. No matter how small, no matter how grand, no matter if you're a pastor or the janitor, it says in the word of God that every body part is glorified in the body of Christ. Even the unhonorable, even those that don't, doesn't look like they do much, even they are honored. That is how we wage war. So that is how we fight. We know who's enlisted. The final question, and I want to close with this, what is our goal? What are we fighting for? What are we fighting to? I mean, I mean, yes, we're storming the gates of hell. Amen. I agree, Pastor. But where are we going from there? What's the point in it all? Why, why are we fighting this fight? It seems like we're just day in and day out doing the same fight. What is our goal here? Well, the, the scripture tells us that our goal in besieging hell is heaven loosed on earth. It says, whatever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What does a heaven, on earth, a heaven loosed on earth look like, though? Well, first and foremost, it, the, the scripture tells us it is an end to Hades. Now, I read the old King James Version because I love the way that it captures the sentiment and the bravado of this passage. But most of the modern translations don't say the gates of hell. They say the gates of Hades. Hades was believed to be the place of the dead, where you go after you die. And many Christians have interpreted this as, as hell and what hell will be. And when Jesus uses the term Hades, he's talking about hell. I'm not going to get into the theology of that another Sunday. Pastor Greg will preach on it next week. I don't know. But anyway... Um, the end to Hades. But what is this really talking about? Well, in Revelation 20, 13, and 14, we see at the end of the ages, at the end of the millennial reign, when Jesus had had his final victory over Satan and the armies of the nation, what does he do? He takes, he takes the Satan, he takes death, he takes hell, and he throws it all into the lake of fire. It's done away with. It's done away with. All the fear in death is gone. All the power that death has over our lives. We, we realize right now we will all die one day. We will all succumb to the power of death in our life. But we have a hope that one day death is thrown into hate, that Hades is thrown into the lake of fire. And we know how after longer wrestle with death, we can live in eternity with Christ forever and enjoy an eternal relationship. This is why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, it says that we don't grieve like those who don't have hope. We don't grieve like those who don't have hope because we know that there is an eternal truth that we will live with God in eternity. Our second goal is new creation, new creation. I'm going to plug youth group again. If, if, if you're a teenager, you're listening to this, you want to know more about new creation, kick off in two weeks this week, cancel because of COVID, stinks, I know. But the next week, we're going to be getting into new creation. So I'm not going to get real into that, but I'm just going to read the verse that I have for that first, or, I'm sorry, second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone's, anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That's some exciting stuff, and if you want to know more, 
more about it, come out on a Friday night, figure it out. If you're an adult, talk to me, become a volunteer, then you can figure it out. we got to move on, all right? Next thing is Revelation chapter 21. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Revelation 21, talking about the realities of the new heavens and the new earth, our goal in this fight, where we are going to be for eternity. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but a couple verses that just grab me every time I read it. Verse 4, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Verses 6 through 7 says, then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. These are the words of God. No more mourning, no more tears, no more pain and suffering. This is our, char- our charge as those who are sieging the gates of hell that we need to end all the suffering and, 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 and all that. We, it's not on us. It's on Jesus who's given us the power to work out his spirit here on earth. I want to close with this as the worship team comes up. I don't know if you guys... You know, because the live stream and everything. But for my, my slideshow, I had uh, a graphic. Um, said the CG felt really nice, made that. But I can't take credit for the painting in the background. The painting is actually from a much bigger painting from what is known as the storming of the Bastille. The storming of the Bastille. It's, it's French, Bastille, I don't know, whatever. The Bastille. If you know anything about history, this was a major event in Western history, the storming of the Bastille. This was the beginning of the French Revolution. Now, some sieges take days. Some sieges take weeks, months, years. But the siege that was the storming of the Bastille happened just like that. In a minute, in a moment, in a day, it was done. See, there was ordinary people in France who were so sick of their current circumstances, so sick of their corrupt monarchs, their corrupt rulers, the poverty they were living, they were so sick of it all that they said, I'm done with it. And they went and they stormed the Bastille, which was a fortress and a prison, and they were so fed up that they stormed the gates, overcame the monarchs, destroyed the powers and structures, and overnight, the whole French Revolution was set on fire and all of the Western world was sent into turmoil. Now, there were some pros to this. Common, normal people rose up and fought a fight overcoming evil and, 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 and overcame corruption in their monarchs. In one swift event, one day, much like the death of, and resurrection of Jesus, in that one event, everything was canceled out. All the wrongs were made right. His blood washed us and redeemed us. It happened so quickly. But there were some negatives to this besieging too. One, they were left with no more king. And they had no king through the war. And because they had no king, they had no one to direct them. It was a decade of blood and murder and execution and evil that was brought about. See, it was a good thing that they overthrew their corrupt monarchs. It was a good thing that they started this revolution, but it quickly devolved into something evil and wicked. This caused chaos and one of the most bloody revolutions that we see in Western history. So what do we learn from this? What does this have to do with the siege of hell? We need to realize that us, common people, the church, who are sick and tired of getting our butts kicked by the devil, don't have to live with it. 
We can rise up and overcome the conditions of evil in creation by the power of his Holy Spirit. Just like the storming of the Bastille, it happened in one day. By the power of his Holy Spirit that was given to us, we have been able to overcome the power of death, hell, and the grave. Jesus has overcome the world in one swift move. One swift move. But we must realize that we must stay in line with our king. We must stay in line. Remember what I said. The church is only defined by our faith and confession in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to remember who our king is. We remember that he is in charge. We must not forsake what is already bound in heaven. We must hold true to what God has called us to do. We must respect his community rather than sacrifice each other like they did in the French Revolution. We must sacrifice ourselves. And I want to close on this passage. Revelation chapter 12, 10 through 12 says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Let me say that again. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony. By the what? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he has but a short time. Church, he's got a short time. He's got a short time time and he has been cast down we have been promised the victory now it is our job to follow our king in the siege of hell father god i thank you for giving us new life for giving us your holy spirit to empower us to fight the good fight I pray that we would take hold of our mandate to storm the gates of hell, to save those who are in bondage, to reach those who are hurting, to those who are wrapped in addiction and bondage, to those who are suffering with mental illness, with physical illness, with those who are so lost that are stuck in the wrap of hell, oh God. Lord God, I pray that one day they could declare like we have sung so many times, hell lost another one. Hell lost another one. Lord God, let us be that force, that liberating force that is led by our King of kings, our Lord of lords, the Son of the living God, into new creation, into victory, declaring victory over our community, over our church, over our family. That these 21 days of hunger, these 21 days would not go by in vain, that we would storm the gates of hell in the name of Jesus. Lord God, that we know that we have the victory. We've been promised it. It's already bound in heaven, oh God. The victory is already bound in heaven. And we get to live in that victory day in and day out. Let us not take that for granted. Let us be the church who professes Jesus as Lord and takes hold of his Holy Spirit, oh God. We love and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, church. Thank you for tuning into our broadcast this morning. I hope that you were blessed. I hope that you have a fantastic time of blessed New Year's. Don't forget, 21 Days of Hunger starts next week, and God willing, we'll be in the house next weekend. 
uh, everything going on this week is canceled inside the church as a reminder. But Sunday, in the name of Jesus, we'll be here. We'll be back in the house of God worshiping and getting ready to starve ourselves. So I hope you're excited. I hope you're praying up. And I hope that you're having a great time at home. Take this. Don't take this time for granted. Prepare your hearts for what God is going to do in these next 21 days of hunger. We love you. We thank you for tuning in. God bless you. And we'll see you next week.